Four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yeah. Guess who found his iCarly clap machine in just enough time? He said in his best radio announcer voice. Hello, everybody. How are you guys? I am sleepless. Let's get that chat room open. There we go. Hello, everybody. Um... <laughs> One of our kids came home last night, landed at LAX close to midnight, and by the time we got home and unloaded her stuff and went to bed, I think I went to bed at 2.30 and got up at 6 this morning. So I'm like, today, so you'll have to forgive me. I'm out of it. What can I say? It's going to be a very entertaining show. Like the post-road rally show, the post-road rally show, the more tired I get, the more fun the show becomes. Um, okay, so today, I gotta get this window shrunk a little. Today, we are going to listen to stuff that you guys send in um, mixes or songs and instrumentals, <coughs> excuse me, that have mixes. And we are gonna listen to them and almost more than anything uh and you know what i wanted to send this stuff through the computer uh so the audio would be hardwired into the system and you could really tell rather than hearing it come from the ns10s behind me in through a stereo microphone in the uh, webcam but unfortunately the relatively new laptop that i have does not it's got a headphone uh out but not a microphone in because I was thinking, you know what, maybe for this episode I'll wear some earbuds so that I don't get feedback and, um, you know, and I can play it right into the system, but nope, that's not going to happen. So uh, we're going to have to listen through the speakers and uh, judge it that way. But I'm curious to see what you guys say, um, because this is as much about training your ears as it is about being critical of anybody's mixes and, and i listen to a lot of stuff we have 17 things we're going to go through today um time permitting i have a tickle in my throat everybody on the staff is sick <coughs> i've been sick but um getting over it but i do have a tickle in my throat so forgive me if i go on a uh, a coughing jag during today's episode anyway let's start listening um, like I said, we have 17 things that uh, range from songs to um, instrumental cues. And one thing I noticed when I just checked out like 10 seconds of each of them is the levels are all over the place. Some of them are so low that I had to crank them way up. Others were really hot and I had to crank them down. Um, and I, I know there is no exact standard that anybody seems to agree on uh, as to the audio levels uh, that they should be sending their stuff out at. But the best advice I can give you is load a CD or an MP3 or a Wave or an AIFF uh, into your system and play it and look where the level is at. Something from a record that you love or something that you've downloaded online and um and look at those levels and then try and get your levels to be similar it's never going to be an exact science because the song is going to be different uh things that can affect it or arrangement compression <clears throat> all kinds of stuff 
Oh man, this tickles pain the butt. You know what? I'm gonna grab a throat lozenge. <coughs> I almost canceled today's episode because of this. But I thought, no, the show must go on. <clears throat> so I am going to consume a throat lozenge that's been floating around in the bottom of my briefcase for a couple of years. And I have a funny feeling, yes, the paper is not coming off as well as I like. So <laughs> I would like. So if you see me pulling paper off of my tongue during today's episode, um, it's due to that little bad boy right there. All right. So for people who are tuning in late, I got a tickle in my throat. I can't, I can't even see what brand this is, but I've got a throat lozenge in. So hopefully the tickling will stop. First thing we're going to listen to is called And We, A-N-D-W-E. And this, I believe, is a song. So there you go. Um, that was called And We. And remember, we're, all we're doing today is just judging the mix. Um, so I want to see what you guys say, and then I'll chime in, because uh, I, that's what I want to do. I want you guys to exercise your ears. And I know, not optimal listening conditions coming through a pair of NS10s into a webcast, or a, yeah, into a webcam. 
So let's see. Um, and forget about where you would place it. Um, this is all about the mix. Okay, Dan Lowe says, nice tune. The mix sounds very thin, which has some uh, coolness to it, but I'm missing some bottom end, especially in the chorus. Good observation. Um, Ken is reminding uh, somebody that I can't play copyrighted material, uh, you know, like, from major acts because their publishers are going to yank the audio on the episode that's true on YouTube. Um, yeah, the bottom end, uh, it, it was thin, and there was one guitar doing some strums on that side, that away, uh, that was really thin. It, it, it sounded like all the bottom and all the mids were rolled off, and it was just something up around, I don't know, 3K or something. It, just, it sounded like it was being played with a razor on rusty steel strings or something. Um, but it, it just, yeah, the overall mix on this one, I'm going to play a little bit more of it. It just didn't sound um, like it had any low mids, uh, which can be dangerous. Low mids are not often your friend. Um, didn't have any good bottom on it. Let's listen to a little bit more. Kick drum is pretty pronounced. Um, somebody, uh, Ken was saying, uh, won't be getting any stereo effects since it's coming through laptop mic. Actually, it's not coming through laptop mic. It's coming through a webcam mic that is in stereo. When I snap my fingers like that, the meters are doing that. So it is stereo. At least getting picked up in stereo. Whether or not Ustream is broadcasting it back to you guys in stereo, I do not know. But um, yeah, the, the whole thing, it's kind of an interesting, cool song, kind of um, not all that uh, contemporary, but we're not worried about that stuff today. We're talking about the mix. So you know what, let's go back to the top for a minute and I'm just going to play a little bit more and we'll talk it through. No air conditioning running today, by the way. Somebody's commenting about that. See, so you can hear, that's the guitar. Listen to the vocals. There's a little too much top end on it, which makes it cut through the track nicely but it's not quite sibilant but it's pretty bright and if these old ears can hear the brightness it's pretty bright I like that guitar sound, the chunkas. Might be cool to double those up and split them. But that chorus guitar, not loving it. Yeah. 
Yeah, Geza's comment about the vocal. It is, it, the vocal's very bright on top. They were trying to give it some air, but came dangerously close to sounding sibilant. So anyway, I mean, it, I've heard worse, but I've heard better. So I would just give that thing more bottom end, get the bass guitar up, uh, number one, to be more um, locked in with the, and I don't mean tempo-wise, um, but start with the bass and the kick in this song and get those guys sounding good together because right now it's like all kick and very little bass. And then um, I would get rid of the... Um, chorus guitars especially the one that in my room is playing on the left monitor which just sounds like razor blades on steel strings um and then um the chunk of guitars um actually sound pretty good and i would double those and split them at like maybe 10 and 2 or 9 and 3 in the mix just to give the mix a, a little more rock and roll <clears throat> and like in the lower mids which is where that guitar part is so there you go and that was and we um okay now we are moving on to something called vocalize is that a play in words no it's vocal eyes like those and i don't know if this is a song or if this is an instrumental let's find out and that's the sound of the cd player ramping up to speed Oh, this is now look I haven't changed my levels I'm gonna bring it up it doesn't come in with something big.
the mix on my iCarly clap machine. <laughs> um, okay, so some comments about this. First of all, let's go back to the top. I want to say I like the piece. Very cinematic. Um, some people have already pointed out that it's very trailer-like. Um, I would agree with that. It could definitely be uh, in one of those scenes, you know, in the Emerald Hills of Ireland where somebody is riding on horseback out on the horizon going toward their destiny. How's that? Pretty good, huh? I like that. Just made that up right off the right off the cuff. Okay. So, yeah, hear that? That's the CD player, guys, because um, it's in pause. So let me play this thing from the beginning. You'll notice, notice where the levels are. Whoops. I want to do that. So it starts out really low. We're three seconds into this thing. Seven seconds in. Ten seconds in. Now, I'm not going to play with the levels this time at all. I'm going to leave them stationary. Right now, my meter, it's just really, really low, and level-wise. prescription for this would be to use a bus compressor just a nice simple stereo compressor um, a good sounding compressor that's not going to squash it too much don't give it like a five to one six to one seven to one ratio don't set the uh, threshold too low just bring up the overall volume um, because that stuff in the beginning uh, the level should be dictated by the dynamics it's being played at more so than being way down in the mix i mean it's just you're you're searching for it and let assuming this made it into a film the person mixing the film is going to control the level that that stuff is at compared to the dialogue or the action in the picture so um his first instinct and in this would be to bring the level way up it's like why is this recorded so low or mixed so low and then that person mixing the film is going to discover what we discovered later on, which is, wow, 
you know, it gets much bigger and sounds really good, very full. So yeah, it needs overall compression so that you can bring those low passages up considerably and that the passages that are much bigger and more dynamic uh, won't blow the meters off of anything. Um, Toonsmith says, I need to relearn compression. Honestly, it's just not that hard. Do everything at three to one. <laughs> everything at three to one and just turn the threshold until the meters kick down a little bit. That's such a great place to start for everything. You know, yeah, there are a million ways to use compression as an effect or sometimes on a single instrument, you've got to use it, um, you know, sometimes on percussion stuff or a lead guitar, uh, you'll need more. But for overall mix, stereo mix bus compression, something gentle does the trick. Um, all right. Yeah, you guys, I'm looking, my bandwidth is like five green bars here, and I'm hardwired in. So it's definitely coming off of a server somewhere like that. It's part of the ping. Gaza thinks that's funny that I said three to one ratio. Uh, oh, Bubbles is talking about, oh, uh, I had that eye surgery years ago. Greatest thing, you'll be able to see better than new. All right. Uh, okay, let's, I'm going to move, I'm skipping number three now for a reason. It's going on to number four, uh, which is called Likes of Love. Again, I don't know if this is a song or an instrumental. Let's find out. And I'm going to bring my levels back down just in case. I think that's maybe the best thing we've heard so far. 
uh, it, it was well balanced. The bottom end was there. The stuff in the mids were all in the right place. Top end was just a little bit uh, pushing it, just a tad on the vocal. Um, but sounded good here. You know, I, I know you guys are listening uh, at a disadvantage, listening through my NS10s into... Um, into a, a webcam, uh, but like I said, this, this computer's only got a headphone jack out. Um, I was so going to wear earbuds today and try and do it without getting any feedback, blah, 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 but I just, you know, once I saw that it's only got headphone jack out, I was in big trouble. Um, let's see, so people like that, best so far, clap, clap, plus one, uh, Tomboy Noises, um, that was mine. I paid to get it mixed professionally. Well, you know, sometimes things like that pay off. It sounded pretty darn good. Gaza X liked it. Um, Bubbles liked it. Do you have it on your SoundCloud, Tomboy? Um, anyway, yeah, uh, that one was well balanced and sounded really good. So now let us move on to Sweet as a Smile. And let's have a listen. That was an edit point. A pregnant pause, but an edit point. Okay, that one was called Sweet as a Smile. Um, overall, that was really good. It sounded great. Um, if anything, I could hear... 
the reverb was kind of resonant in some of the main frequencies of the, of the um, I want to say pan flute. Yeah, I think it's a pan flute. Uh, and while the reverb was bouncing it around, it kind of over amplified some of the frequencies in the pan flute. Um, nobody sitting at home watching a travelogue on the travel channel with somebody trekking through the mountains of Peru, as somebody said in the chat, chewing coca leaves, um, is going to be sitting there going, hmm, I hear a little extra 2K up there in the reverb. Uh, and frankly, I don't think a reality show editor or a TV show editor is going to do that either. But, you know, it could result in it if there was something similar and it didn't have the kind of slightly piercing... Um, resonant frequency in the reverb going on if there were two things that were both equally as good with the picture that the one that doesn't have that little the grates in your ear might make it in the show or the editor might just be lazy enough to say yeah good enough works for me sets the mood that's important Yeah, flute was a bit hot on a few notes. Again, that could be a, just a you know a little soft compression or limiting actually uh, would be good for that. Okay, um, so that was number six. Why do I want to talk in my um, Sean Connery voice today? Which you don't want to hear. It's really bad. I was doing Sean Connery in the kitchen at home Saturday night, I believe. Uh, what was the movie? Keeping up with the Joneses. If you haven't seen the relatively recent film keeping up with the joneses um and you just want a little light comedy on saturday night cuddling with your honey on the couch cute flick not going to win any oscars very cute well worth the time investment all right moving on this one is called gutter punk i like it Double 
All right, that was called Gutter Punk. And overall, I think it sounded pretty darn good. I noticed that a few of the people in the chat room were saying that they didn't hear a lot of bottom, uh, a lot of bass and kick. But I actually heard decent. I mean, I, I'm kind of a kick and bass guy, so I would have preferred to hear a little more. But it was there. The guitars are pretty, uh, like you'd expect, a, you know, crunchy guitar coming through a Marshall or something. A um, little nasally in a good way. Uh, and I'm guessing that, you know, less than optimal conditions here coming through a, uh, a webcam uh, microphone. You know, and I don't know what you guys are listening to on the other end. For all I know, you could be listening to laptop speakers. But overall, it sounded pretty good. Um, it's funny. Uh, Geza said, hate the uh, good track, hate the symbols on top. Didn't even notice the symbols. Just goes to show. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? You know, um, Howie Holt says, sounds like NS10s. Um, and that's tense. Good observation. <laughs> All right. Uh, Peter Rahill's listening to JBL 305s, but not in stereo. All right. Uh, moving on. This next one is called One Hard Ride. Good title. You know how we talk about titles on the show, that if you were um, doing an episode of a show and there was a, a biker roadhouse scene and you needed something that sounded kind of greasy, sweaty, dirty, like somebody might get beat up or knock over a row of motorcycles um, and get beat up for that, uh, one hard ride might catch your eye if you're looking for something for that scene. So let's see if it works. Come on.
Ladies and gentlemen, Neil Young on lead guitar. observation I want to make about that is overall the balance was pretty well there there were some things that I would nitpick about but overall I mean it was not unbalanced or disproportionate uh, in anything in particular there were some moments like where I, the harmonica the harp was, was a little bitey but it's bitey by nature and you know so it jumped out of the mix a lot but the one thing that I found incongruous and there's my big word for the day um, was that the bass was very, very compressed on that. Uh, and just sounded like the wrong style of bass for the style of song. It didn't sound like a rock and roll bass. It sounded like um, almost like a disco bass or something. I mean, it was like super duper compressed. It just sounded like somebody who learned their bass recording chops, you know, in the disco era and this is the way a bass sounds good. So it's kind of stuck with that mixer, that person throughout several eras and then was applied to this song. And frankly, you know what? I worry that if I went back in the studio at my advanced age um, with my very, very old skills from the you know early 70s to early 80s that I should be on that. But my old skill set would not be applicable for a lot of stuff today. So... Sometimes you got to think about that, uh, you know, and analyze what are current sounding engineers doing with basses in, in certain types of songs, certain genres of songs. Um, so that to me, it's like the, the bass and the kick work together, but they didn't work for the song. And I heard some sort of, I want to say like a loopy um, echo on or a slap on a guitar part that felt like it was rhythmically out with the rest of the track. Um, and it kind of made the whole thing sound a little bit like reverb, too reverberant. There's another big word for the day. Um, too drenched in reverb for the style of music that it is, which is kind of blues rock. Uh, so a modern version of blues rock, I think, would have less reverb on it um, and maybe just a little more grit to it overall. The reverb takes away from the grit, in my opinion. Um, I'm, I'm scanning the thing to see uh, if anybody had any great observations. Uh, maybe think of re recording some tracks. 
Um, okay, but you know, like I said, overall, the balance was pretty much there. There wasn't anything that was like super thin or, or super fat or um, disproportionately jumping out at you to the point where you're like, holy crap, what was that guy thinking or that person thinking? Um, okay, now we're moving on to one called Too Deep Too Soon. This must be a song about scuba divers getting the bends. Oh no, that would be too shallow too soon. All right, here we go. Too Deep Too Soon. Listen to the top end on the vocal. Darling, this is too deep to soon. 
was a fabulous. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know how much longer that was going to go on. I'm trying to get to everything I can tonight. Anyway, that was a classic example of um, pretty darn good song, interesting song. Um, I liked her vocal approach. Um, something somebody used the word it didn't gel, and I think that that was a very apt description. That um, everything about it, I'm going well. That sounds like it was well recorded. Yep, that instrument sounds like it was well recorded. Uh, the vocal sound. I remember doing a session once uh, with a really kind of rare and expensive, like thousands of dollars microphone uh, made by Neumann called a Hitler bottle. Uh, uh, it looked like, you know, a spray can size tube of electronics with a little neck on it with a microphone about that big. I'm looking for anything. You know, like a golf ball-sized capsule sitting on top of this thing. Anyway, I remember that that microphone, when you plugged it in, just sounded like that. It took everything and gave it this air. But if there was any sort of sibilance in the vocal, especially with females, that microphone just sounded so bright. But on a guy who didn't have a naturally sibilant voice, it really opened up uh, and gave it a level of air that I've been unable to achieve with any other microphone since. This vocal sounded like what a Hitler bottle would do on a female vocal. Uh, the top end was very prominent, yet kind of silky, but not all that appealing in my personal opinion. But the whole thing just didn't come together. It's like each thing separately sounded good. And this is something that I've seen a lot of relatively inexperienced mixers do. Um, people that maybe have been doing it, uh, you know, doing audio for a year or two or three, but really haven't crossed the chasm yet, is they will solo each instrument and make each instrument sound good on its own. But when you put them all together, they don't sound cohesive. They don't, all the puzzle pieces don't work together. Um, and that's what this sounded like uh, to me. It just sounded like it, it didn't come together. Nothing horrible about it. Um, in case, as I've used the Hitler mic, something so phallic about it, so many words. Um, yeah, somebody, a tune creator says, condensers bring out more high-end than dynamic mics. Yeah, they do. Um, no question about it. But the Neumann, whatever the number was on that microphone, uh, had a real peak uh, way up there somewhere like an 8k or t maybe even 10k it, it was the kind of high end that you want to get out of like a neve equalizer um, an old neve equalizer without getting all the um concomitant noise that would come with it boosting like plus six or plus eight at 10k to try and get that air that you can get from a neve eq um, so it was like that, and it just happened, it was just inherent in the mic itself. And I'm not sure if it was the capsule or the electronics or the combination thereof. Um, somebody asked a question, two questions before. Um, if I had any advice about using Exciter plugins, and no, I don't, because honestly, I'm such a dinosaur uh, that I've not used Exciter plugins. I've not used any, well, I can't say I've never used plugins. I've done a little recording here and there over the years, but uh, really have not been a studio rat officially since, 
trying to think the last time I did a record, I think was 1987. So it's been a while. Uh, oh, that's not true. Actually, I did three songs for a project for a major label around 94, 95, 96, somewhere in there. Um, like, all I can tell you is that generally speaking, Exciters, which started out the first exciter of the bunch, um, was the famous Aphex Oral Exciter, which used some sort of weird prescription of harmonic distortion to add a pleasant and present edge to almost anything that you would put through that box. Um, it kind of made up for less than wonderful consoles. I did a lot of work at one point on MCI 500 series consoles, which were famous for having boring mic pre's, boring EQ, and you really had to work your butt off to get anything to sound pretty coming out of there. Um, uh, if you did the same session on a Neve versus an MCI, you would take the Neve session every single time. If you did something on an SSL versus an MCI, you would take the SSL sound every time. So a lot of my friends at the time when the Aphex Oral Exciter came out were using it, but they were committing the sin of using the Aphex Oral Exciter on everything because they wanted to make every instrument sound pretty. But in real life, everything doesn't sound pretty. Sometimes some things should sound a little muddy in the lower mids, um, like chunky guitars. You know, if you roll off lower mids on those, they, they sound like picks on strings. They don't sound like guitars coming through cabinets anymore. So you don't want each individual instrument to sound good, which I think is something that engineers that are early in their careers do that. They try to make everything sound good because they're mixing for other engineers. They want them to go, wow, that's an amazing snare sound. Wow, that's an amazing guitar sound. Um, sometimes you're just better off kind of going, you know, bring up the fader if the guitar sounds a little muffled wait till you hear it in context because maybe it sounds that way for a reason. Um, if you try and make the snare too snary and too bright, it doesn't work. Uh, then again, if you're doing like a punk thing or a rock thing and you were to just run it, uh, run the snare like a 57 through an API um, preamp, um, it's probably going to have enough harmonic distortion on the top end that those snares are going to excite naturally without an oral exciter. <laughs> Don't even go there. Do not go there. Um, that It just sounds good in the mix. That's why people love some pieces, old pieces of outboard gear, and they love some microphones. But you know what? Nobody ever bought a record or nothing ever became a hit because of the snare sound. That was all for guys like me or for people like you to get our fellow button-pushing nerd friends to go, that's a friggin' great snare sound. There's something to be said for that. And the other question was, does reverb automatically spoil the grit? No, it doesn't. Um, although I will say that if we're talking about the blues rock genre, something that you would hear in roadhouse rock, it typically doesn't have a lot of reverb. Now, sometimes you might hear um, a really long, uh, loopy delay feeding back on itself, maybe on a guitar part or something, but it doesn't sound like, it's not a genre of music that you would typically hear in a hall, like in a, a hall where you would have 2,000 people. Uh, you know what I mean? 
I'm thinking of Gusman Hall in downtown Miami, but I'm guessing most of you have never been there. Um, anyway, yeah, the music should sound like where you'd expect it to be coming from most of the time. Um, all right. So now we're moving on to something called Don't Touch Me There. Speaking of the aforementioned... Um, Exciter, Don't Touch Me There, and I did listen to this one before we did the show tonight, and this sounds to me like it might have been a vintage thing that was done years ago, maybe even the 50s or 60s, 70s, I don't know, it just sounds like a vintage recording, and I'm sure I've mentioned this on the show many times, but I want to mention it again, and that is... There are some publishers, and we know the publisher that I think is probably the best at this, um, that love finding stuff that was recorded back in an era. And they don't care necessarily if it's a demo, even if it was done on a TAC quarter-inch four-track. Um, they're looking for that authentic vibe and sound, audio quality that came from that era. And sometimes if the, the song is reasonably good, they like it. You know, they'll take a C plus, a B minus, or a B plus. They're not looking for A plus. Um, what they're looking for is the authenticity of the vibe of the era. So let's, with that in mind, listen to Don't Touch Me There. Don't touch me there Unless you love me Get here, my heart. 
Maybe not so innuendo at all. Maybe it's just blatant. I don't know. Anyway, uh, you can't deny the authenticity of something like that. Unfortunately, the lyrics make it really difficult to use. Uh, I'm thinking film and TV. Uh, I, I don't know. There's something special about that. I personally loved it. Um, and I can absolutely hear that being used um, very tongue-in-cheek, going for the big laugh in uh, a movie that, um, in a comedy, you know, where there's a, a little sexy scene, you know, and this starts to play. I think that the, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? When two things don't line up, um, don't seem like they're, they're, like they should go together, but they do in such a beautiful way. I can't think of the word, but, uh, Anyway, I, I really, really, really like that. The vocal is way up front. And I'm thinking that the gentleman who's singing it is also the songwriter. And he probably paid a professional um, uh, band in Nashville in a, in a pro demo house to cut this for him. And that he sang the vocal after the band probably left the room and wanted to hear the vocal nice and loud because the song means a lot to, to him. Uh, and you gotta love the this gentleman's vocal. I mean, it's just so authentically country, right? Anyway, uh, I loved it. Discongruity. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was something. Uh, it's not the word I'm looking for. Juxtaposition. Uh, Peter Rahill got it right. Uh, yeah, there was uh, sometimes when you juxtapose something that you wouldn't expect to happen again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> something maybe in a really straight scene in a movie that's not a comedy, and you just start playing this. The audience would be rolling on the theater floor. They would be they would be coming up coated in old Coca-Cola and uh, popcorn kernels. I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> Frank uh, Frederick P says, are you in the middle of an exotic word competition or something? Nah, my dad had a thing when I was a kid. He would uh, rip a page out of a dictionary every day and hand it to me and expect me to memorize all of the words and definitions by the time he got home from work every day. So obviously I skipped school every day in grade school and just stayed home and memorized the dictionary. Um, no, I wish if I, I am actually really grateful that my dad made me do that. But you know what? You throw out the big words and um, sometimes people look at you like you're a freak. I don't want to be a freak. I just want to be loved for who I am. Forget the freaky stuff. All right. Anyway, that was really cool. I liked it. And you know what? I am going to hook this gentleman up with the publisher 
that loves the vintage stuff. Although I'm not entirely sure that they can use this song in the current edited condition that it's in, or if they would see the beauty of the lyrics that I do. But I want them to know that this guy exists. Maybe they can create a dialogue and find that he's got a stash of 100 of these things laying around. Um, anyway, there you go. Um, Moxie McGee says, geez, Michael, you've not been in the country clubs I have. Um, well, when you're Jewish, a lot of times you can't get into those country clubs. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, uh, all right. Uh, who was it? Groucho Marx said, uh, I wouldn't want to be in a country club that would let me in or something to that effect. Okay, we are moving on now to a song called, I'm not sure if it's a song or a cue, called Blind. Let's have a listen. Perfect. 
No more drugs to take, no apologies to make, and my bent on self-destruction is finally to rest. Listen to the balance. Full band comes in. Feels kind of anthemic, but not too big. gets me out of bed in the morning right there that was a beautifully crafted song great vocal performance great lyric great recording great mix everything about it was amazing that was a 10 so there's the bar ladies and gentlemen um that thing i mean that could make it onto a record that would work great in the americana charts of Spotify, be great in certain film and TV applications. That's just a great song. Will I be listening to that in my car on the way home tonight? You bet. Um, really, 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 really good job on that. Congratulations. I'm, I'm going to give a shout out on that one. That was uh, Taxi member Mike Gladstone. Excellent, excellent work. Just, man, can't wait to hear the rest of your stuff because that is so damn good. Yay. Um, you know, I'm speechless. I want to ask, uh, I saw somebody in uh, in here whose name is Chris Van Cleve. And I've got to ask you, Chris, do you know, I, I say I have no idea if Chris is like 19 or 42 or 58 years old, but I grew up in a little farm town in uh, north central Illinois called Ottawa, Illinois. And there was a gentleman that lived across the street from uh, my parents' house named Roy Van Cleve and spelled it the way you do. And he was the sweetest old gentleman. He was retired, the classic, like post-World War II um, retiree, you know, sitting in the metal lawn chair out in the front porch, just kind of rocking back and forth, uh, enjoying life. And he would invite, you know, when I was five, 10 years old uh, and a little rat pack of neighborhood kids uh, in a very innocent time, um, in the late 50s, early 60s, he would invite us over. He'd be out in his garage repairing a lawnmower engine, and we would sit there endlessly with big eyes watching Roy Van Cleve work on his lawnmower engine, or maybe sharpening the blade on his lawnmower, or fixing the steps on the front porch. He was very handy, and I remember that he had lots of liver spots on the back of his hands and his hands were always cut up from fixing stuff but he was the nicest old man and his wife was sweet they were like right out of a norman rockwell painting and sometimes on a really hot day um, they would invite several of us into the house and mrs van cleve would give us iced tea or lemonade um, he taught us how to catch fireflies more effectively and stuff so i gotta ask you chris are you related 
to Roy Van Cleve. Find out if anybody in the family had any relatives in Ottawa, Illinois, because I don't think I've ever seen that name pop up again. Anyway, um, so there you go. Uh, let's see. I'm looking to see if Mike Gladstone was in the chat room or not. I don't know. Um, okay, moving on. Now we are listening to number 15, which is called Apprehension. I'm guessing this is a cue. That was called apprehension, and it made me apprehensive. Uh, I thought the mix on that was great. There was nothing about it. I mean, it's obviously uh, like a tension cue, sound design, not quite a drone because it had a little melodic movement in it, um, and it had some sort of sound designing aspects. One thing that I made a little note, if you listen carefully um, throughout, and especially at the end when it was more pronounced, it had a heartbeat, which tells me that it was conceptualize and um, a heartbeat and I, I don't know what the, um, the the rate was of that heartbeat but it felt like somebody's heart that was running away from something uh, or somebody and they were hiding you know underneath the staircase or around a corner in a basement wherever and you could just feel the that you know that heartbeat of like something bad was going to happen but it wasn't really like full-on horror flick cue, nor was it really a tension cue. 
So I want to ask you guys, because I'm curious, what popped in my head while I was listening is, what would you use that in? Give me a type of scene, because I think the mix was fine. Um, Tune Creator says, my ex-wife. Uh, <laughs> oh, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. Um, so let's let's vary a little bit from our mission tonight, which is identifying um, X-Files. Okay, what kind of scene? What's happening in that scene in the X-Files? Stranger Things, Mr. Robot. Sounds like somebody's constructing something cool. I'm not sure I know what that means, Ulf. It's definitely um, suspense, anticipation. Um, Robbie Hancock says, I think it might, I think it crossed over too much in several tension elements and perhaps too busy. Uh, it might work in an investigative type show. Um, Keza says Mulder's in a trance. I feel a sneeze coming. <laughs> Mulder's in a trance and Scully's trying to find him. Uh, sounds like something that opens a scene. Approaching scary destination. I'm going to go with Robbie's thing. Even though I really liked the cue and thought that it definitely made you feel like your palms were going to sway, you know, like a little test of your deodorant there. Anticipation, tension, all those things were happening. I, the reason I asked the question is I kind of felt what Robbie felt, which is that it crossed over a little too much. Um, Robbie said, I think it crossed over too much in several tension elements, perhaps too busy. It might work in an investigative type show. Somebody else mentioned CSI, a couple of people mentioned X-Files, but I felt like there were two or three cues in there and that any one of which would have been good and they were all masterfully mixed together. But the whole time I'm sitting there going, ooh, that element, would be really good on its own. Oh, that element would be really good on its own. So just, I, I kind of felt that and was curious to see if you guys picked up on it. And I got to give an A to Robbie, uh, who, who definitely noticed it. Um, <laughs> Fuller, <laughs> Fuller Music says, probably what the Falcons heard last night during the fourth quarter. Was that a great Super Bowl or what? I mean, the first half, and yeah, not so much, right? I mean, unless you're a Falcons fan, and, and frankly, I could have gone either way because I only love the Dolphins, um, and you don't get a lot of love back from the Dolphins, sadly, and I don't watch a lot of football anymore because you don't get a lot of love from the Dolphins. But I will tell you that um, I was kind of in and out. Uh, my daughter and her husband and uh, our granddaughter were over for dinner last night, so I was uh, prepping buffalo chicken wings when the first uh, half of the game was on um, and was kind of disappointed that it seemed that the Falcons were running away with it and then Lady Gaga did her thing um, is it just me or was Lady Gaga flat out amazing I mean amazing and really kind of set the bar 
um, for all other Super Bowl acts to follow. It's like, how do you beat that? And being uh, that I'm uh, somebody who likes to fly the occasional quadcopter, remote control airplane, anything that requires the use of thumbs and flying remotes uh, or flying remotely, I love and uh, have loved now for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. I thought that the uh, the use of the, the quadcopters, the drones in the beginning, spectacular. And when Lady Gaga did the jump from the top of the stadium, amazing. And, and the songs, you kind of forget. I mean, her last album wasn't as good, in my opinion. Uh, but man, the stuff from the first couple records, just amazingly good. Um, anyway. Uh, Vicky outed herself. Thanks for saying it was masterfully mixed. It was. I mean, there was nothing. I couldn't find anything in there that I would mix differently. I just think that you've got two or three cues that all stand on their own two feet. If you were to, it's like triplets, you know, one of them has a great smile. One of them has maybe better eyes than the other two. Um, and one of them has a personality. So pick the, the best trait of each and make them stand on their own. Um, Bob Pori says, my wife's not a fan of Lady Gaga, I presume. Even she had some nice stuff to say about her. Yeah. Um, yep. So, uh, yes, people are saying nice stuff about Vicky's piece and nice stuff about Lady Gaga. There you go. Vicky, you finally made it into the same conversation as Lady Gaga. It doesn't get much better than that. Maybe someday you will wear an all-meat dress to some industry event. You never know. All right, moving on. Uh, this next one is called Minimalistic. And let's, I'm guessing there's not a lot to it. Let's find out. <laughs>
Woohoo! There it is. <laughs> Almost missed the end of that one. I was making a note to self. Uh, so what did you guys think about the mix? Before I tell you what I thought, I want to see what you thought. I do have three more that I haven't played, and I'll tell you why not in a moment. Um... All right. Uh, mix is good. Nice mix. Very good music. Cool piece of music. Like the clarity. Each thing had its own place. Um, Mary Band thought it, excuse me, didn't work. Um, Ken DePotter says the mix was good, except the piano could come down a little. Uh, Oh, that the link didn't work to a song, apparently. Um, nice overall. Pull the bass down here. Anyway, on my end, that sounded like a well-balanced mixed uh, mix. I'm not entirely sure um, how I would use the cue, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about the mix. And... I thought that everything had its own space, that everything was well-balanced, that um, any compression used to keep stuff in its own space and make the whole overall sound be cohesive was well-executed. So overall, I would say really, really good job on that one. Um, so there are three that I didn't play tonight. And the reason that I didn't play them is because they came in from people who are not taxi members. And I don't want to discriminate and say, oh, they're, you know, they haven't paid to join taxi, therefore they can't um, have their music played on the show. The real reason is that taxi members, um, somewhere in the terms and conditions of the site and the terms and conditions of membership, actually allow us to play the music and we can search um, to make sure that the music is public, although you guys have agreed, uh, you know, by submitting it, and as you saw in the email that went out, yes, Michael, you can put my music on your show and you can leave it up in the archive and people can listen to it a day from now, a week from now, or five years from now on um, YouTube. And I don't have the same relationship with the non-members because they've never agreed to our terms and conditions anywhere because they're not members. So I'm a little afraid to play their music um, for fear that somebody could come back someday and say, hey, dude, I didn't do that. Although I could go back to my original email that said, if you submit, you're allowing us to use it. But I don't know. I would love to know what you guys think about that. Um, but on this show, uh, I'm not going to play it. Um, Yeah, I, you know, for those of you who are having problems, it's pretty much the same people over and over. They're, they're, they're um, talking about the Internet connection problems. Um, and I think that, yeah, Casey's bugging out. My song's not getting played. I'm out of here. Come back, Casey. Come back. Um, anyway, so that's that. Um, I would say that this was pretty educational. I hope you guys feel it was as well because... Um, although, like I said at the outset of the show, I don't think anybody has ever necessarily gotten a deal or had a hit 
because of a mix. Um, but a poor mix can, can make you not warm up to something. It, it makes the song or the instrumental feel less inviting. So a good mix matters. It just doesn't matter in the way some people think that it does. Some people think that, oh, my song, you know, would be a hit if it were mixed better. Well, people would allow it to be listened to more frequently. They would allow it into their their um, their world, their vibe, their existence. It, you know, if a mix is really bad, it just doesn't feel right. It's almost visceral. So there you go. Mixes matter, and I hope this helped a little bit, although I'm not giving out any techniques um, I think that you understand just simple balance matters. Simple balance matters. When we had Rob Shirelli on the show probably four, five, six months ago, I need to get him back. Um, he talked about that. Rob is very non-technical. Um, he's very tech capable, but he records a lot of stuff, if not everything, almost flat and, and goes with good mic choices, plus a lot of what he records uh, are samples coming down a wire. Um, and he's more about taking advantage of the arrangement and, and not putting too many things in the mix to make it work more so than he is about um, using gimmicks on every single thing in the mix. So there's your takeaway. Um, <laughs> Casey says he didn't co-write Don't Touch Me There. Um, there, there you go. There's your big takeaway for tonight. It's more about balance than it is about trickery, all right? Um, I am going to try next week to do the remote at a taxi member's studio. It may be two weeks from now, but I'm going to shoot for next Monday. So please try and be here for that show. Um, and I'm going to see if I can get Michael Lloyd, who has been at many, 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 many road rallies. The guy's produced over 100 platinum and gold records in his career. Um just an astonishing career, and he's become a close friend of mine over the years. He and I and Rob Shirelli and our three wives go out to dinner several times a year, and I cherish his friendship, friendship, I cherish his wisdom, and I've never, ever had him on the show, although I've had him on stage at the Road Rally numerous times, so I'm going to try and get him in uh, the next couple of weeks, too. So there you go, uh, and I will see you guys very soon, like in seven days, for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Wow, you guys.